0: You are listening to Understanding Disordered Eating with Rachel Heinemann. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and a certified eating disorder specialist. On this weekly podcast, we talk about all things psychoanalysis and eating disorder recovery. It's a combination of interviews with experts in psychoanalysis and eating disorders and some solo episodes where it will just be the two of us. The goal of the podcast is to help you try to understand a little bit more about yourself Gain a deeper understanding for why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. All right, here we go for episode 94 as we approach our second anniversary. So before we start today's topic, a couple of announcements. I feel like I'm in the camp lunchroom tapping on the mic. Hello, announcement, everybody, announcement. But no, it's just you and I. Uh, You and me. It's not you and I. It's you and me. Anyways, so first of all, today should be the 15th of August, which means that UDE is going on break for the rest of August. So Today is the last episode for the summer and you will see me again in September in your feed. So if I'm missing the 22nd and the 29th, we're off. We will be back the day after Labor Day. Another thing, the newsletter has been going out weekly lately. Sorry to make an announcement about that. But in case you haven't jumped on that bandwagon, you definitely should. I'm of course not biased about that. But The link should be in my show notes and all over my website. Join the newsletter that is weekly and has all sorts of goodies in the newsletter. Next, in the fall, I'm opening up, depending on how things go, at least one episode for listener questions. So, what we're going to do is, and of course, we'll see how it's structured depending on how long each question is. We're going to go through some questions, I'll answer them, and Here's where you guys come in. You send me your questions, whether it's in a DM on Instagram or an email responding to my newsletter, send me your questions. And then we will be sure to address them in an episode in the fall. I'm really, really excited for this one because this is where we get to collaborate together. And then you also get to have all your questions answered in case we haven't yet answered them on the pod. And one last one. I am. In the middle of booking out my fall, winter, and a little bit into spring of speaking engagements, which, of course, you know, is my happy place. This is the talking podcast, speaking, all the same thing. But I'm putting this out there. If any of you are organizing events, trainings, conferences, any version of that, and are interested in having me join as talking about anything eating disorder related, anything psychoanalysis related, hit me up. I would love to be more connected with some of you and your people. So I really hope to hear from you. This week's episode is just you and me. And we're talking about this like statement that everyone says, it's all about the food. It's not about the food. That's referring to eating disorders. I mean, it's really true. It's a little cliche because we use it way too often. But the idea that it's all about the food. Yeah, eating disorders are literally all about the food. It It is a disorder of eating. So the entire way of approaching recovery has to focus on food, because if you're not eating properly, then there's the eating disorder still there. So obviously it's all about the food. Now it's not about the food comes in to play with like what is driving the eating disorder, what's underneath the eating disorder, why is the eating disorder even there, which you know is my jam. And what I have come to conclude And this is perhaps an overly reductionist way of understanding eating disorders, but hear me out. I like overly simple, especially when thinking about basics, and then we can all always get more complex than that. Eating disorders are an emotion regulation issue. It's not about food. It's about emotions. And sure, this might be just one perspective, and you can say that I'm wrong, or you can say that it's a lot more than that. But here's how we understand it. The idea that a healthy person, and I hate using the word healthy, but please understand what I'm saying. A healthy person has learned how to identify their emotions, know what's going on internally, like know their names, know what's going on and to organize their emotions in a way that feels tolerable, like they can manage them, they can learn, oh, what is this emotion telling me? They feel like they could move through the world feeling their emotions. They don't feel too big. Or in another way of saying this is they know how to soothe themselves. And so no matter what sort of emotion we're talking about, they know what it is, they know how to tolerate it, and they know how to soothe themselves. But let's be honest, like for the most heart, people have a lot of trouble doing this. But in order to do this, somebody has to be able to learn this. We have to learn this from our primary caregivers. Like almost everything in this world, it has to be learned. And the way that we learn things are by internalizing the messages that we receive, whether they're explicit or implicit. So think about from very early development. We have a baby who just feels things like hunger, and discomfort, like physical discomfort from their diaper and like cold, you know, they feel very basic things and they cry so that their caregiver will take care of them. And then they, as they develop, they get a little bit more complex in terms of the ways that they feel. But especially for a baby that is pre-verbal, so they don't yet talk or they don't talk in ways that can, you know, more eloquently express what they're feeling. It just becomes like a cry or a whine. I mean, especially for those of you who are around kids, have kids you know exactly what I'm talking about. The way that we begin to organize and identify emotions is by having, let's say, mom and dad around to say, oh, this is what you're feeling. Oh, that's okay. Let me hold you. Let me take care of you. This is not a big deal. We're just gonna deal with it. We're just gonna go with it. And what happens is, is that over time, the kid learns, A, this is a word for it. This is a thing that I can tolerate. And this is a thing that I can be soothed from. they learn all those things and then they also internalize the way that they are being soothed and then it becomes their voice. So if you think about it, whenever you have this chatter in your mind about uh, specifically like, oh, I should do this, I shouldn't do this, which it, it actually feels like a voice. I'm not talking about like a psychotic voice. I'm talking about, you know, when we, you know, when a person who's not psychotic has these voices, that sounds weird. Okay, you guys know what I'm talking about. And then somebody like me might ask, whose voice is that? And your answer is mine. Obviously, it's when the voices that you've heard become your own voice and then you tell them to yourself, but they weren't originally yours. So think about whose voice is it actually? Like, oh, don't do that. Or doing that is for this kind of person. That is something that you've probably heard over time and internalized. So that has become your own voice. The same idea goes for positive things. So thinking about how to soothe yourself comes from the internalization of other people soothing you over time. So in order to get to a place where you can identify and organize your emotions and have the ability to soothe yourself and tolerate uncomfortable emotions has to be learned. It has to be internalized. And what happens when you haven't had that or you haven't had that enough? The emotions don't just go away. They don't just be like, oh... I don't know what this is. I don't feel like dealing with it. I don't feel at all. They don't go away. The too cool for school people don't actually get a free pass on emotions. They hang out. The emotions just go to their hangout spot and they change forms. So think about like the transformer toys where they just like completely transform or like the very first time I used the Duna car seat, when I pulled it out of the car to go to a doctor's appointment, someone... In Manhattan was like, that is so cool. Anyways, I digress. They change forms. They're not just anger in a way that you can put words to I'm feeling really angry right now. It ends up channeling itself through the body because the body's holding on to it. It can't get rid of it. It doesn't know how because it doesn't know the words to use to say it. It doesn't know how to soothe. So the body hangs on to this. And then the body communicates it. And in the case of an eating disorder, it communicates it through restriction, binging, purging. And we're using the example of anger, but it's literally every emotion in the book that feels intolerable to you to feel. And to go back, the emotions that feel intolerable to you to feel are the ones that have been taught to you to feel intolerable. Another way to think about this or another perspective to shed light, think about when you stop using behaviors and all of a sudden things become so so much harder like your anxiety is sky high and just like like just general discomfort becomes so so much harder because you're not using your behaviors to manage your emotions you're having to feel whatever it is that your body's hanging on to but you now don't have the eating disorder to communicate that you don't have it to soothe yourself you don't have it to be able to tolerate it. So you're left with the raw emotion that originally became so big that you had to use behaviors. Now, I say this not so that it becomes overwhelming to you and be like, okay, well, now what do I do? But to shed light and give you information so that you have a clearer road for where you need to go. If we look at eating disorders as an emotion regulation issue, then we have so many different ways to chip away at healing. We have so many different ways to approach this. I mean, even if you think about the classic term emotion regulation, it's a very DBT term. It's actually one of the pillars of DBT. They have like these, like you literally Google emotion regulation DBT and it comes up with like all the different, very concrete ways to help you regulate, which is beautiful and very helpful if you're learning from scratch. I mean, a lot of you, if you're in this boat, you haven't learned at all, which means that you are tasked with teaching yourself. So something that you should have learned before. Now you have to learn and you have to teach to yourself. So let me just give you an example of a DVT emotion regulation skill. They have the opposite action. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of it. And in essence, what it says is, you know, like switch it up. If you're feeling something really big, like anger, and it's just like very activating to you, you can walk away, show kindness or something, do exactly the opposite. Or, you know, specifically with eating disorder behaviors, you could do exactly the opposite of what you want to do, a specific skill. Now, putting aside whether or not this feels doable to you, and I would highly encourage you to go online and just look at the DBT skills because you know me, I'm not a DBT person. I probably shouldn't be the person to teach you DBT skills, but there are definitely things you can learn. I think we're putting aside the idea that it is very difficult to do for a second, but I think that it's probably a really good idea for you to start to learn things that actually resonate with you, that even if they feel difficult, they feel doable. So I'm not talking about the DBT or the CBT skills that make you roll your eyes, which if you're like me, is basically everyone. So I would hardly encourage you to go on any DBT website and look at which one resonates with you. There there are really so many. And I would encourage you to look through emotion regulation and the distress tolerance module, which is uh, the second of the fourth or one and two of four, whatever order they're in. It doesn't really matter. For you to find skills that resonate with you to be able to do and i'm not talking about the ones that make you roll your eyes and like oh yeah if i was able to do this like i would already have done it but some things that actually feel like you can challenge yourself to do because i think step one is to get concrete skills of what it is that you can possibly do in a moment that feels like just really emotional for you And that could be positive self-talk. It could be writing the self-talk stuff on your mirror with a dry erase marker. It could be holding something really cold or jumping in a cold pool or something that to really regulate your body. Or it could be snuggling up with a loved one or, you know, just like human touch. There are so, so many of these that you can go check out. And for the sake of our conversation, I'll let you check more of it out. Anyways, now to where I come in. The part of you that's saying, okay, let me go on these websites, hooray, distress tolerance skills, emotion regulation skills. This is ridiculous because if I knew how to implement them, I wouldn't be here. They just don't work. Or I just can't bring myself to do this. Or it makes me roll my eyes. I can't just do the opposite of what I feel like. That's ridiculous. That's like saying, oh, you're feeling angry. Oh, well, don't feel angry. So if that's what you're saying now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that like that the intention of these tools are to be undermining and say that you haven't thought of this before. But I do think that it's really, really important to think about why you have a hard time soothing in the first place. Why is this skill really difficult to implement? Why is it that you have a hard time with this particular emotion or really all emotions? And when we ask those questions, then the conversation just opens up in a way that we can actually start to look at what's going on. Now, I know that I said before that it's on us or on the person, the individual to relearn all of these skills if you haven't gotten them, which of course is a lot of responsibility. I do think that you can share the responsibility if you're having loved ones on board or for sure if you're in therapy. But I think that's why talking is so powerful. People are like, well, talk therapy is ridiculous. We just go in circles and it doesn't actually help. If that's you, which I know a lot of you, that's not you because that's why you're here. But if that's you, then I think we really can't knock the idea of what happens what transformation happens when you take something in your mind and you actually put it into words. First of all, things feel a lot more organized in our minds. And then when we try to explain it to somebody else, we realize some of the holes that were, you know, missing. So when we actually are forced to verbalize something, we are forced to engage in a level of organization that we did not know we needed. And you all know what I mean. There's something that really fits so perfectly in your mind, whether it's anything therapy related or not. And you try to say it out loud and you're like, oh my gosh, this makes no sense. I really need to revamp this. That's exactly what I'm talking about. But if we go back to the original idea that I was talking about, we're when a pre-verbal child learns all of these soothing or organization or identification, learning the vocabulary of what emotions are. If they haven't learned that, then their vocabulary ends up being limited, which then means that their inner experience doesn't have the right place to go. It doesn't have the right communication tools, which means that this is all about communication and it's all about verbalizing what is going on internally in efforts to organize, in efforts to symbolize. Think about words are are actually our ability to think symbolically So because we're taking whatever is going on internally and putting it into a word that we've decided means this thing. So the act of talking, the act of finding words for what's going on internally, the act of saying them is what you probably haven't had and that you do over and over is the actual learning how to do it. And then hopefully once you say it out loud, then you get some soothing and the ability to tolerate some of it. But the idea is that even saying it is soothing in and of itself. So I know I've been talking about somebody who doesn't necessarily have the vocabulary for their emotional experience, which would obviously lead to emotion regulation issues because they don't even know what the heck is happening. This still goes for somebody who sort of knows what's going on, but has a hard time regulating emotions. So say they feel things in a really, really big way, or they just feel things in a way that feel big, even if they're not necessarily big, which is, I guess, semantics, and they're just not really sure how to tolerate it. So... If you think about it, it's the same idea where the messages that we've received implicit or explicit teach us how we can regulate our emotions. So imagine you're a six-year-old and you know I'm just pulling six out of a hat because assuming that whatever is happening when you're six is probably also happening when you're two and three and when you're 12 because our, unless something is different about your home situation, it probably doesn't change that drastically. But imagine a six-year-old is feeling... Really, I don't know. Let's just say they're feeling really hurt. They were bullied or they were excluded. So they come home and they're like, oh, my friend didn't let me sit next to her at the table, or I don't know, something. And somebody at home, mom or dad, says something to the effect of, like, okay, well, shut up. And it could mean, it could be something like a little bit mean, which I know some of you have experienced, like, you know, Like, just, I don't have time for this. I don't have patience for it. Just like, stop crying. You know, that sort of like impatient, shut up response. But sometimes the messages are a lot more not that implicit, if that makes any sense. A lot of times it's, they didn't mean to do it. It's okay because they're trying to be nice, but actually they're going through a hard time. And all of these things send a message That you pick up on. So you're going to interpret that based on how you hear the message. But basically, what the message is, is don't feel. And if you feel it, don't share it. Or you shouldn't feel it. Tell yourself, don't bury it. That is, in essence, what a lot of these messages are saying. And think about a lot of the talk that goes on in your mind I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't feel this way. That's a direct internalization of some of these messages. But what happens is is that when you feel these things obviously they don't just go away. You don't just not feel it. And if you feel it so much it might make you want to explode. You can also think about growing up what the consequences were to feelings or if you showed any emotions. What were the responses from your family members, even siblings sometimes. What were the responses at school? Something we really don't take in, into account how transformative early childhood school years can be and how mean kids can get think about think about the messages that you've internalized around emotions think about the messages that have been explicitly shared to you about emotions whether it was a response to your emotion or a response to their emotions think about if you were a really astute kid which kids are inherently what would you pick up on as a kid in terms of emotions and then what did you learn and how do you keep that those messages alive so imagine you're painting your house and you're trying to choose colors if any of you have ever painted your house you know exactly what i'm talking about it's like the worst i mean i'm sure for you interior decorators it is not the worst but it is extremely overwhelming and if you don't know the first thing about which colors I mean, sure, ask for help, but I think what's really helpful is to narrow it down by even primary colors. Like think about a crayon box and there are like four or eight or 12 colors and think about, okay, I'm feeling blue. I'm feeling green. I'm feeling pink. Okay. We've narrowed it down. That is incredible because we've cut out hundreds of thousands of colors right now. And no, it's not going to get you all the way down, but it's going to get you or it could get you really close. So the idea is narrow it down, narrow it down as much as you possibly can. So instead of saying, I feel upset, because upset is just sort of a general negative emotion or overwhelmed, overwhelmed is a descriptor of an emotion. You can say, hmm, is this a sad, bad feeling? Or is this an angry, bad feeling? Like just give yourself one or two, give yourself two or three options And see, okay, this feels a little bit more like sad than anger. This feels a little bit more like anger than sad, because those are very different ones. And what I would say is, once you start narrowing it down, once you start getting a feel for this, once you start getting a little bit more comfortable with a little bit more vocabulary, then you can continue narrowing it down. And obviously, it goes without saying that a therapist can be extremely helpful with this. The other thing that I think is really, really helpful, (laughs) I honestly didn't anticipate this to be so helpful, but it has been really helpful with a lot of the people that I talk to and work with. See if there is a word that matches how you feel. Very often there is an internal sensation and you don't really know any words to it, but you know that something matches. So say for example, you're an artist, you paint and you can paint something that feels like what you're feeling. Or you play the piano and you're just one of those cool, awesome people who could play the piano by air, and you play a piece that matches how you're feeling. Or you just listen to a song. You put on your playlist, whatever you have, Spotify, who knows, and listen to a song. And you'll notice that you're going to gravitate toward some songs. I mean, like this, I've heard from almost everybody that when you feel depressed, you listen to depressed music. And there's something, really organizing about matching your internal state to something that you're listening to. Just a small anecdote. I heard this from somebody who was, what was she saying? I don't remember the context of where she was, but she was feeling something really, really big and had no idea what it was. And she was like, okay, this is really bothering me. What is it? A Carrie Underwood song came on and she's like, yes, this is it. And I love Carrie Underwood, but a lot of her songs are very angry or maybe without the butt. And I was like, okay, so was it anger? And I think that that could be a really, really powerful way for you to start to get to know your emotional experience, see if something matches. And I think that it doesn't have to be perfect. It actually shouldn't be perfect. We're just starting to learn from scratch. And yeah, it sucks that you have to teach yourself this stuff, but you can and you absolutely will. I think that over time, once you continue to do this and have people around you who are tolerant of the ways that you feel, and you learn that these feelings are things that can be tolerable, not fun, then you ultimately get to the place where perhaps you should have gotten earlier, but now you do. Now you can tolerate emotions and soothe yourselves. I think something else that is really, really, really important to note here is that our goal is never to make emotions go away. So when we go back to the original part of this episode to talk about eating disorders or an emotion regulation issue, we all have emotions. So, so important to have emotions. We just have to know how to regulate them well enough to navigate our world. But, you know, when you say something like, I feel really, really anxious. And a lot of you feel intense levels of anxiety a lot of times. And know that is not something that we want you to experience. But the idea of getting rid of your anxiety is actually not ideal. We need anxiety. We need anger. We need sadness. We need grief. We need guilt. We need all of these emotions to help us navigate the world. So when we think of our goals about emotion regulation, when we think about our goals of trying to identify and organize our emotional experience, it is all about learning how to dance with our emotions, learning how to look at our emotions in the face and say, what are you trying to tell me? Guilt, are you trying to tell me that I did something that I probably would feel a lot better not doing next time? Did I hurt someone? in a way that I don't want to? Anger, was there a way I wasn't defending myself enough? Do I need to stand up for myself a little bit more? Do I need to lay firmer boundaries? These emotions are the epitome of our existence in the world. If we were given a roadmap, emotions are it. So if we can open ourselves up to really look at our emotional experience, to lay the roadmap for how we navigate the world, then you struck gold. So if you're thinking about eating disorder recovery and you're thinking about it through the perspective of emotion regulation and you get there, or you at least work toward there, there's no like unicorn at the end. Life is a work in progress, but if you work toward a place where you can look at your emotions and use them, wow, that is it. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.